You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Welcome to our new podcast series, Gaia Says No, in which we will explore the nature and impact of human activities on the planet. Join Future Net Zero founder Summit Bose, along with environmental campaigner Angus Forbes and analyst Alex Moward. There will be some strong language. Hello, my name is Sumit Bose, founder of futurenetzero.com. You're listening to our podcast series called Gaia Says Now, all about how we as humans have influenced the planet to its detriment, how we might be able to influence it to its betterment, and how that all sits in the frame of energy, net zero, and resourcing. As ever, my partners in crime are here today, Angus and Alex. Boys, are you both well? Thank you, yes, Sumit. Great to be here. Rosie. Rosie. And do you know the best thing is each week Alex just says one word. That's what we'll do. He'll just go one word that sums out how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is all about governance or it ain't my job, is it, Gov? All right? Let's, let's talk about this. In the, in the previous episode, and we've been building up, we've looked at kind of what, what we've been doing. We've looked at how humans have definitely got to the stage where we're now influencing the planet and we know we can influence it very very badly. We do it all the time. We can see that. How do we get ourselves to get together to take action? And what I want to do, guys, is just start with where we are right now. At the time of recording, the world is still gripped by this pandemic, although certain countries are starting to ease up lockdowns. Let's face it, we're in it for a long time. And what this has proved is two things. One, we've seen all the things about kind of, you know, in this country, we've had people putting out their little things for the NHS, people getting together, companies changing what they're producing. We've had that old old boy captain who's now Sir Tom Moore, you know, walking around his garden gets 28, 30 million quid. You've seen people helping out their neighbours. You've seen an element of real sort of a coalition of the willing to try and fight this. And yet at the same time, we know that nations are fighting each other. We've had problems trying to get resourcing. We've had problems trying to get the reagents for testing kits. We don't know if countries are telling us the truth about the levels of infection and mortality rates. There's blame going on here, there and everywhere. So my question to you, when it comes to the biosphere, how can we get all of us to work together positively? Because when even we're facing a global crisis, we seem to want to fight each other. When I look at the coronavirus actions on the ground by people that you've just elegantly uh, described, Sumit, I see, you know, real humans and I see modern technology. You know, the fact that I know what someone is doing in India or in Somerset with regard to their lockdown or I've been able to have a Zoom or another type of meeting, I see the incredible benefits of our connectivity um, and really humanizing uh, a global situation. Then you went on to describe, of course, the Westphalian system of the independent nation state and how that they are quite hegemonic, they're competitive by nature, uh, they want to win, uh, for you know that's sort of their job and and so that that was a different level it didn't I don't think it represented us as humanity at you know as we related to each other 
looking at coronavirus and what we're all going through. And so I think that the future collective action will come more at that base level, our technologically connected global citizenship will trump the nation states. Did you use that word on purpose? (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to tee up Alex really for that. Yeah, go on. Sorry to, to disturb you. To, 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 we'll trump our base sort of national well, instincts. Is that what you're so, so, our, so our global connectivity, our citizenship, yeah. our humanity, at that level, you know, I see that trumping the nation state system of our, our, you know, where we put in place governments who naturally compete against each other. And it'll, it'll be that the groundswell of support and power that comes through a connected global citizenship that is going to have huge ramifications for the human environmental nexus going forward and and new governance systems. Mr. Millwood, what's your view on all this and those two competing things we've seen playing out during coronavirus coming together and their isolationism as well? Yeah, and I think there's, there's, multiple forces at play. I think humans are social animals uh, by and large and tend to therefore want to do well for human race. Uh, But equally, we're incredibly individualistic and selfish. Uh, We give much more to our own children than we do to people in Yemen right now um, suffering the consequences of conflict. And so I think that is human nature to advance your own cause. And Maslow's described that very, very well. But when there's so many of us now, how do we recognize that individual selfish behavior where we want it all on demand now? When I was growing up, uh, we had to do some social agreement as to which of the four TV channels we watched. Now we can just go to our own little space on our own personal device and not watch it on anyone else's schedule. Yeah, uh, we can watch it when we want it, consume it when we want it, and 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 I think that is part of human nature as well, and that's been transferred into our consumption of natural resource as well as our TV viewing. My view is, you know, so how does how does society who all needs to live together make those decisions? And wherever there's been common res- resource, there has been rules and regulations to stipulate the consumption to stop overconsumption. You go back to common land where people could come and bring and graze their cattle there was overgrazing going on so there were clear rules as to who could do what and when cities are now starting to set up congestion charges for a you know a scarce resource and i think you know we're now starting to be able to apply that up at the global level so how do we live within the boundaries of what mother nature can sustainably produce to allow humans to endure uh, my, my personal view is, you know, how does society set that social norms and values? It, it sets laws. So it's very clear where the line is, not whether it's one person's preference versus another preference. And then we expect people to comply with that law. I love the fact that in the UK recently just introduced air quality as a requirement on house sales. You know, alongside the energy efficiency of houses, we're now going to be getting a rating on air quality. Uh, and I think those things which have been stipulated through consumer law will steer a lot of behavior and change behavior. And I look at my own behavior, it's driven much more by law. I, I understand where that line is. So I, I'm definitely a big believer of a balance between government, business, financial institutions, and the individual consumers to come together to set those those balances and those choices that we've got to make. Can we declare an interest then, Mr. Forbes? <laughs> yeah. The billionaire 
banker wants to tear the planet down and bring us all to protest. <laughs> That's what it's about. You've got an idea, which I, I, I like, and that's how we all got together. But let's tell the listener before we, we, we go into sort of the pros and cons of it. But in, in essence, you've got an idea of how we could have a Gene Roddenberry future. Yeah. United Federation of Planets. You think there's a way the planet, the resources of the planet could be looked together. And it's not the UN, it's a new body. Can you tell the listeners what, what you've got as an idea? Thanks, Simon. So the proposition is that we form one authority, which we've called, you know, for it could be given any name, of course, but we've called it the Global Planet Authority. And this authority would sit above the nation state system. So it would be humanity's first incursion into global governance. I want to be really, really clear to the listener, there is zero global governance in the world at the present. It's a massive void. What about, UN, what about the UN? Everyone would say the UN is global. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The UN is just a meeting room. It is nothing more than that. It has a budget of $10 billion a year, uh, funded by you know, multiple countries. But when it was formed in 45, 1945, we stopped short of giving it executive power. So it could say to a country, you must do X, and the country is obliged by law and regulation to do exactly what the UN tells it to do. That does not exist because mm. the people, of course, in 45, we were dead or we were scattered. And mm. so we couldn't be drawn upon to give that power. And that was exactly the same in 1918 when we formed the League of Nations. Uh, again, there was zero executive power. And so what we are proposing is that we've come to a point in human history where we have the global connectivities. We are, instead of being dead or scattered, we are in fact alive and connected. And so we have the personal sovereignty to allocate on mass so we can form an authority above the nation state. And simply put, we're now a global race, we have a global asset to protect, and so we need to enter global governance. Revolution? Revolution, yes, I, I think that's the Ooh. right word. There's just one letter, isn't there, between revolution and evolution. <laughs> um, but in that there would be a wrestling away of, of some power, of some st national state sovereignty by all nation states up to the higher body, I think uh, history will deem to call it a revolution, yeah. Alex, is it, this is all bollocks he's talking about, isn't it, really? It's never going to happen. Well, I'm in the, it's, it's a kind of oxymoron. So I've sort of extolled the virtues of the United Nations, setting the, halving the poverty and yes. achieving and exceeding it. I think they've set some sensible, uh, sustainable development goals. I think they're of a scale and complexity that the world has never achieved before. And the timelines uh, are pressing, hence I call it, you know, the stress, stress nexus right now. All of the measurements are indicating that we are off track from where we need to go. The UK's 
uh, Committee for Climate Change is sort of indicating that we will miss our future carbon targets, yet the UK is one of the leading nations to set zero carbon ambition for 2050. Uh, the last report out by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change also reported that we are missing. Uh, they're about to report you know, imminently on our current status, our, our school assessment. Um, my prediction is we're going to get another D minus on progress towards those sustainability development goals. And so the definition of madness is do the same thing twice, expect a different result. The science has been known for a long time. The outcome of what's needed has been known for a long time, yet we have construed not to make sufficient progress. So if we want to continue on that slow path, we, we keep the current status quo. If we want to change it, we might need to do something different. Now, you know, that requires others. We've seen in, you know, I, I'm not sure it's a revolution, but I think it's revolutionary. And we've certainly seen people defend their status quo. So those who have benefited from the great acceleration the most will fight to defend their current quality of life at the, at the cost of others. And so therefore I, I can see it being revolutionary yet. And so it's an oxymoron. The current path isn't going to get us there, yet the current governance structure isn't going to allow you know, a global authority to sit and preside over it and move the massive amount of wealth that's needed to make this happen. Yeah, and that, that's the point. I mean, I love you to bits, Angus, but you're talking bollocks. It's madness. It won't happen. How can you get... We can't even get... You know, we tried to leave the EU in the UK. It took two to five years to get that stuff going and it's still going to go on. You know, you've got people saying you can't, you know, you can't even get the UN to function as it is. And you want to create a new body? I mean, let's talk about numbers. And Alex has thrown some great numbers around. But the most important number in, in my mind is a ratio of 100 to 1. Right. And that comes about because in 2022, 5 billion of us will be online. 5 billion of us for the first time as a connected technologically connected global citizenship. And the other end is how many people run and enforce or govern and enforce our nation state system of 195 nations? Yeah. And the answer is just 50 million. Right. 25 million senior civil servants and 21 million soldiers. So that adds up to 46 million, rounded up to 50 million. So there's 5 billion of us global citizens connected and 50 million people running our nation states. So that's 100 to 1. So when it comes to it, if we want to move, we can move. And in 1776 in, in America, it was 26 to 1. In 1994 in South Africa, it was 50 to 1. In 1917 in Russia, 100 to 1. In 1789 in France, 100 to 1. And in 1947 in India, the British Raj in India, it was 300 to 1. So if we face clear and present danger, if we envision a better future, when you get to this ratio, it's game on. And I'll tell you right now, it is game on. And I believe that it is almost as certain as gravity that humanity is going to move into global governance in the next 25 years. I love your dream, but I can't, I can't see it being a real. How can it happen? How I'll, tell you, you, I'll tell you why you, it's difficult for you and me to see it is because we haven't been children of national self-determination. 
But if you ask your grandparents... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Alive, My mother, yeah, was what? born under British Raj. Absolutely. Correct. Right? They'll say, of course, this type of amazing thing would happen. My father had a posting in Belgrade in 1980. Mm. And a friend that was a communist, semi-communist Yugoslavia under Tito. He Tito died. Absolutely. In May, in May 8, 1980. And a friend of my father's said that the communist regime of, the, of Eastern Europe and Russia will fall within a decade. And if you'd said that in 1980, people would think you were barking. You're bonkers. Barking. But you wait, you wait. If it's going to be 50 degrees in Sydney or, or wet bulb uh, moment in Delhi, you know, where the humidity is so yep. high that people yep. can't survive. At 101, we are game on. It only needs a small trigger. What, what do you think, Alex? Do you think, I mean, it, it does sound revolutionary that we all, because we've seen Extinction and Rebellion come from nowhere to influencing. We've seen a, a little girl with pigtails come from nowhere to become a bit of a, 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 an icon in, in the planet. We've seen other people like uh, Malala Yousaf, uh, I can't even pronounce her name, but Malala, anyway, um, you know, become a, an icon for, you know, Gandhi. Mandela, but all these people have worked on a, a country basis or a specific issue basis. What Angus is talking about is, is getting all of us, lazy sods, sitting on our asses together to try and influence the people that run our world. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the outcome is more important than the, the method. So if we can achieve the outcome through our current governance, then that's fantastic. But current trajectory is, is not favourable for that. I, I think it is feasible to get a referendum. I actually liked the fact that we had a referendum for Brexit because it was changing something through the power of a pen rather than through a bullet. So it's revolutionary rather than a stereotypical revolution. So I think you know, self-determination is, is fantastic. Um, the, the thing which I didn't like about the, the Brexit referendum in the UK was what both sides took a very selfish reason for their voting. What was better for me? what was better for us as a nation rather than answering the big questions of how do we eliminate poverty? How do we lift people up? How do we make sure that we sustain human life you know, for the next 2000 plus years? And so I, I, I like listening to the societal choices. And it may well be that they come up and say, no, actually sort out other stuff first. You know, to go alongside a referendum, there needs to be a massive education program of something which is even more complex than Brexit was. And I certainly got overwhelmed by the information in Brexit. I like to think I'm reasonably able to absorb complex things, but there needs to be a massive education program so that people can make as an informed a choice as possible. But I would love to hear what global society thinks. And obviously, you know, those of us, which would include me and the people that are in the the haves in the, in the few on world terms would be afraid of that 100 to 1 ratio because, you know, coming alongside this, the, the science that we've talked about making it happen does require a massive transfer of wealth from OECD to non-OECD. You know, there's enough money in the world, but it needs to move in the right distribution and make the right choices. So I, I think, a, you know, I'm a big fan of a global referendum. I think it's very achievable. Angus, you've read um, Animal Farm, right? I remember doing it at school, right? Four legs good, two legs bad, right? What's to stop you lot? Who's going to run this thing? Who's going to run this? What's to stop you lot being the one? Yeah, who's going to run the GPA? Is there a president? How would the governance of this work? If you're trying to get five billion of us to say, we want to protect the planet, then 
if you thought about who would be this kind of task force, would they be politicians? What, how, how would that work? Mm. You're so right. I mean, if you go back to, let's say, 1776 and the formation of the United States of America, we had 4 million people living in the 13 colonies and 150,000 British running the show. So there's a very clear us and a very yeah. clear them. 4 million of us and 150 of them. And we want to get rid of mm. them. Yeah was the message and it was clear that they could do so under the leadership of Washington and Thomas Paine's common sense pamphlet and things like that so when it came to it they got rid of them the, the four million then had to decide what the new United States of America the would new like. them write yeah, a the new them <laughs> they had to write a constitution and I'm not sure if you've been fortunate enough to see the the incredible musical Hamilton no I haven't seen it actually um, but one of, one of the things that Alexander Hamilton did as, as a leader of the time is he spent 20 years defending the new U.S. Constitution. So they, they achieved the first thing, got rid of the British, but then the Constitution had to be written and defended and altered to make sure it fitted. And that's exactly the process that we will go through. We will say, hold on, if we had to design a system of governance to protect a whole biosphere, we probably couldn't get a worse one than 195 competing <laughs> amateurs who also are part-time because they don't focus on the one job that we're, that we're giving them with regard to protection of the biosphere. They do a lot of other great stuff for us, but they are competing part-time amateurs when it comes to running a biosphere. So we have to get rid of that element from them. We have to go past them. So that's the them, we're the us. And when we come to doing that action, we've got rid of them and we've moved into global governance. You're absolutely right. There has to be a structure. I think here we're incredibly fortunate. Humanity, we have just moved into seven geopolitical zones. That's just happened. And I think that's gonna be the blueprint for the foundation of the GPA. And those seven geopolitical zones are North America, South America, Greater Europe and Africa, and then West, North and South Asia. West Asia being defined as the Middle East through to Bangladesh, and then North Asia will be the Chinese Western border through to Japan, and South Asia will be Myanmar through to New Zealand. And we've just formed this it's so exciting. And that will become the blueprint. And we'll have one representative from each, which will be on the executive board. We have three peer reviewed scientists from each. that will make up 21 scientists who are the biophysical board. And then we'll have one operating executive uh, center in each one of those seven. So we've got the blueprint uh, and our lawyers will write a constitution that's acceptable to the 5 billion of us. How do we do this? Sounds great. It really does sound great. And its job will be one thing, telling us, hello, Mr. Uh, Bolzano in Brazil, you can't chop down your rainforest. Hello, Mr. Trump, you can't dig those oil wells. Hello, the prince of wherever in Saudi Arabia, stop doing this. Hello, Boris Johnson, you've got to do this. Really? Really? That's it. Because the power always comes from the people. And George Washington said, I know of no greater, purer power than the collective 
well intent of a good intent of of the people it, it comes from the people and this is where i think coronavirus has been so exciting because you say hold on how can we have the power over these elected officials worldwide mm. how can we feed our national sovereignty up to this authority well if the global planet authority is not adhered to we will just down tools and have we ever seen a clearer modern example of society downing tools in one eight week period we've had global gdp fall between 10 and 20 percent for that period we've stopped the system and that's the power that we have as a as a global citizenship now we can stop the system. but but that's Stopping was done by our leaders, not well, no, us. No, we outsourced. We outsourced the 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 mechanism to the World Health Authority and to our 195 nation states. It was the system that we set up to deal with an event such as a pandemic. We, our forebears, had already outsourced it to that methodology. And so when the pandemic came along, the accepted methodology was enacted and they said, hey, we have to stop. It's the same mechanism. We can, we can put in place a global planet authority. We can give it the power. And if it says we have to stop, then we'll, we will accept it because we've created it. Alex. Yeah, I, I think the, the one thing is it might not be stop, but do something differently and it comes back to your point submit of how do we continue to have it or how do we avoid denial because yeah people don't like their lives to go backwards so you know the brazilian rainforest um there needs to be a massive payment for the carbon capture that that provides and yeah. allows what's currently a, a small minority of people to pollute the nation so there, there's a a payment to be made at the moment you know our consumption isn't paying for the true cost to the natural capital. So that that needs to occur. So it's not a diktat, you stop and you don't get it. There needs to be evaluation around what that is. So what, what are the Brazilians who might be able to capitalize on their natural resource, the forest, think they'll gain, just like those who have extracted and exploited coal or diamonds, uh, and they've, they've taken advantage of the natural resources in their territory so i think it'd be similar and now we need to put the true cost of the externalities of the lifestyle that we're living and i think that would change behavior massively uh, again i think you know a central governing force can start to put a lot more into carbon capture and storage if we can get our economies to work with a carbon budget and a carbon pricing and a carbon taxing i'm pretty sure actually lifestyle doesn't need to change that much uh, we can switch to carbon capture technologies rather than necessarily having to switch to renewable energy remember sort of energy is wonderful it's life enhancing it gives mm -hmm. so much uh, it's just at the moment it's the the externalities of that's causing that and i do believe human ingenuity can solve that um, but it needs a uniform approach because it, you know it's, it's a common resource and so if you have half the people agreeing with the rules and a half not then you know it, it doesn't work and the, and the purpose is defeated so that's why it needs that commonality and that's yeah i'm sorry yes, Simon, if i could just jump in in my in my in my book global panel authority i um available I on detail. amazon and all good bookshops right now <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
But I've written, I've written down uh, not only the, the sort of constitutional blueprint, but also an international taxation system. So to, to Alex's point, he's so right. The economies of the nations that include Amazonian rainforest is currently $3 trillion. And I have put in a 300 billion payment annually for 10 years, which would be about half of all tax receipts. Assuming tax receipts are 20% of GDP, that would be about 600 billion. So this would be a 50% increase to total tax receipts for those nations and paid for by progressive taxes. So the wealthy and the most profligate of the world would pay the most. So you get some tremendous wealth transfers to, to countries that, that would be protecting uh, the, the common assets for humanity. And that's really the, the, the irony of this, isn't it? If you look at it, it's the places that have the resources that are generally the poorest and the places that don't have the resources uh, and they've exploited them are the wealthy ones. So this, there will have to be a leveling up if this is to happen in, in a big way. Yeah, and I think that's really exciting. You know, we are the first three generations alive to recognize that we run a biosphere. And so we have to put in place the governance structure capable of delivering a safe biosphere, but also being fair about it. And it will have to have the capacity to all sorts of checks and balances. We have to imagine a future. Imagine a future where there is the, the Amazonian rainforest and other rainforest is intact, where the oceans are, are bountiful and the troposphere is at the right level of carbon dioxide and molecules. But a global planet authority can deliver that, but also have the mediation capacity because in 200 years, we might be living to an age of 200. We might be putting artificial intelligence in our heads. We might only have 50 nations. So whatever the circumstances that humanity finds itself in, a global planet authority will be able to do those small bits of mediation necessary to be fair, but at the same time, uh, deliver on its ultimate goal, which is protection of the biosphere. It does sound good to me. How far along the path are we? I think we are 85% of the way there. And the reason for that is that where five billion of us are connected. So we know who we are. The opponent, uh, which is the 195 nation states, is clearly identified. 50 years after the Stockholm Declaration of 1972, that the natural assets of the earth must be safeguarded, that was written, that was signed by all signatories, has shown complete and utter D minus, if not E minus, to quote uh, Alex, failure. And now we have the great commonality. We have the Anthropocene. We, we know we're together on this one issue. So I think we're 85% of the way there. It required a tipping point, a, a vision, some exceptional leaders, but we really are a long way there. Alex, what's your, what's your view of this? Yeah, I um, agree. I think a lot of the foundations are there. Actually, I, I was heartened. I was listening to a lot of very smart UK government policymakers who sort of described how this sort of scale of change needs to happen. Uh, and first one is you know, sort of recognising the problem. Two is then you know, sort of coming through to identify these, the solutions, be they technological or 
consumer or regulatory. Uh, and then three is converging onto, onto those solutions. Angus's view of the 80%, some of that foundation is emerging in terms of the awareness amongst enough people. I'd uh, love to put that to a test with the 5 billion vote uh, as to whether you know, people agree. Uh, and you know, the, the technologies exist, but we haven't collectively landed and chosen on them. Um, and that, that's still to, to work through. And, and having a more coherent global one will allow us to balance the risks and balance the rewards um, much, much better than any sort of individual smaller society can do. Uh, so I, I tend to agree, you know, there is a, there is a growing point here and each individual has the equal vote to clean air or fresh water. Um, and so let, let, let's kind of put it out there for consideration. You've, you've got me convinced. I like it. Before we end, Angus, I know that it's, it's in formation. You're starting to do, trying to pull this together. How, how do people get involved? Thanks, Simit. Yeah, globalplanetauthority.com, globalplanetauthority.com. We'll, you can sign up there and we have a team of 50 volunteers who are waiting to interface with you. You can buy the book on Amazon, as you mentioned. Uh, but more importantly than those two things, I just encourage the listener that, you know, to remind themselves that they are a global citizen mm. now. And let's mature into that position. We're a global citizenship and we have a global asset to protect. So let's look up. Let's look up. Let's imagine the future that we want to create together. And that's a good point to end. And in the next episode, we'll be talking about how that future can be driven by technologies. You've been listening to Gaia Says No, a Future Net Zero podcast. Please subscribe to Future Net Zero and this series for more updates. Future Net Zero. Better business. Better planet.